0: All right, so good morning. It's nice to see so many familiar faces and some new faces as well. Uh, as I said, my name is Paul Gordon and I have the joy of serving as a pastor within the Terranova family, specifically uh, at Terranova Church in North Adams. And, and a, a little bit later, I'll give a, a little bit of an update as to our church planting work in North Adams, Massachusetts. Uh, but to start off with, we're gonna kick off Uh, I'm actually really excited that I get to be here on your first Sunday through the Psalms this summer, going through the book of Psalms. It's something that we've done in North Adams for, I think, the past maybe four or five summers, three or four, something like that. Uh, And so I'm excited to, to kick off your time in the Psalms this summer. As Matt mentioned at the very beginning, the Psalms are a unique genre of Scripture. It's not... Historical books that talks about the history of the people of God. It's not the law, like in some of those books where God would give His people uh, the law. It's not the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. It's not prophecy. It's not the New Testament letters. It's a unique genre. It's it's poetry, or it would often be referred to, commonly known as the hymn book of the Old Testament. Our Jewish forefathers, brothers, and sisters. It would be the songs that they would sing. But when we say that, I mean, what what really is songs? But poetry with noise going on around it, right? So there are poems underneath the idea that they're songs. So as you look at the Psalms this summer, and to introduce you to this, could I give you a caution, an invitation, and then maybe just a wee little bit of advice? So the caution, it's poetry. Remember that genre. Don't take things too literally. So, in Psalm 62, when, God sa- when it says, God is my rock, he's not a stone that you pick up and put in your rock collection, right? Like, don't take that too literally. But, but with that caution of recognizing the genre that is poetry comes an invitation. And so the invitation is be creative, think outside of the box a little bit, stretch yourselves. Perhaps engage the Word of God in a way that you may not necessarily do so, so often and, and hear from God differently than you might be used to. And if I take that just a little bit and push a little bit more, I might even say, be okay with hearing from God through a psalm differently than the person next to you. All right, now, hear me out on this. Don't go sending emails to Randy at Terranova Church yet, which is a real email, by the way, that gets to Daniel. You can send Randy. Anyway, but God is my rock. That can mean three different things to three different people in the same room, right? It can mean, it can give this idea that God is security in a time of trouble, or it can mean God is a foundational thought in a time of doubt, or it could mean he's a constant in a time of change. All of those kind of fit with the poetic expression that God is my rock. So, take an invitation to be a little creative think outside of the box a little bit. And then my wee little bit of advice, don't go too far. So this isn't an invitation to untethered freedom to read the scripture however you may want to interpret it. So if I give you two pieces of advice to give you training wheels in your creativity, one is whatever you're creatively thinking about the Psalms, make sure it balances and squares with the whole of scripture. Right? It's got to resonate with the, the broader narrative and teaching of all of Scripture. That's one training wheel for you. The other one is the community of God, historically and currently. Right? If, you, if the way that you want to interpret the Scripture is a brand new, clever idea over thousands of years and nobody else agrees with you, that may be a little bit of a warning. So, be creative, but have those training wheels to keep you balanced and upright. Square it with the whole word and keep it consistent with historical church understanding. All right, that's my intro to the psalms for you to kind of push you into the summer. Let's actually look at a psalm, maybe with a little bit of creativity. Psalm 127 is where we're going to be. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that up. It'll be on the screen as well as we read through it. I'm going to read the whole of the psalm to start, which is only five verses. So Psalm 127. For some of you, this may be a a familiar psalm. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So we're going to work through this psalm through three words, principle, pattern, and purpose. Now, I'll kind of bounce between those three words as we go, but generally speaking, that'll be the the pattern in which we go through through those three words. So we'll start with the principle. The initial principle in this psalm that underscores this psalm is fairly straightforward in verses 1 and 2, right? The psalmist is saying, if you labor, if you strive, endeavor to build things that the Lord doesn't want built, whatever that may be, Homes, jobs, reputations, savings accounts, whatever. If you strive to build things that the Lord doesn't want to build, it'll come to nothing. It'll be vain. It'll be pointless, meaningless. You've given your life to something not worthwhile. Or if you seek to protect, to safeguard, to watch over or overprotect maybe even, whether whatever that might be, cities or money or comforts or countries or ideologies or whatever, if you seek to protect and safeguard things that the Lord doesn't want to protect, it'll be lost. You've given your life to something that the Lord is not in. Said plainly, the principle is, without the Lord's blessing, favor, life is kind of meaningless, pointless, vain. For those of you who might be familiar with the scriptures, does this sound like another book in the Bible? Ecclesiastes. The writer of this psalm is Solomon. That's who's given credit for writing this psalm. And he wrote a lot about meaninglessness, a chasing after the wind, giving your life to pointless things in the book of Ecclesiastes. But Solomon also wrote a lot about wisdom. And that's the book of Proverbs. And this psalm has a very proverbial sound to it. It's unlike a lot of the psalms that you'll probably be in the summer that have more of an emotional feel to them. This one kind of has a proverbial tone to it. And Solomon was famous for his wisdom. Abraham was famous for her faith. Ruth was famous for love. Rose was famous, or not Rose, I'm sorry. Moses was famous for leadership. Mary was famous for humility. Solomon was famous for wisdom. And there's another reason you might be familiar with the name of Solomon. And that is, he's the one who led the building of the great Jewish temple in the city of Jerusalem about 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. It was called Solomon's Temple, which may be another reason you've heard of his name. And that may seem like some random information I'm giving you, but I actually think it's really helpful. Is this me? No idea? Just keep going? All right. I actually think it's really helpful context. You guys know who Solomon's dad was? I'm good with talking back to me, by the way. Solomon's dad is David. King David. right? King David's actually the one who wrote the majority of the Psalms. But King David, you can read about this in some of the historical books, first and second Kings, first and Second Samuel. King David wanted to build a temple for God, but God didn't have it in the cards for him. It wasn't in David's work to be done, God had it for Solomon's life, not David. So Solomon gets this. This isn't just fanciful or wishful thinking that he's writing a poem about. He knows firsthand, unless the Lord wants this house built, this temple of God built, then I'm laboring in vain because he he saw that in the life of his father. Are you with me on that? I think that's important context. So Solomon pens this poem, and he gives the negative side of the principle front-facing at the beginning of, this, of, the, of, the, of the poem. Apart from God's favor, life is kind of meaningless. But that whole riff kind of hints at its opposite as well. Right? It hints at not that all of work and life is meaningless. It hints at there's actually a vein of work and life that is worthwhile. If you can get that into the same camp of stuff that God is doing. There is work for us that is not vain and pointless. For Solomon, it was fairly simple. Build the temple, guard the city of Jerusalem, and have children. And that third piece, which is the second part of the psalm, is carrying on the promise, the Davidic promise that an eternal king would come in the line of David. So part of Solomon's purpose in life was to perpetuate that lineage. So he had to have babies for God's promise to come to be. He didn't need to rescue people from, people from Egypt. He didn't need to write books of prophecy. He didn't need to go on New Testament church planting missions trips. He needed to build the temple, guard the city, and have babies, and he writes a poem about that, which is great for Solomon, but what about us? What does this mean for us? Can we simplify God's will down for us in our time today, so that like Solomon, our soul has meaning and purpose and is satisfying. I hope that's kind of the point of where I'm going today. Let me ask you a question to get there, start getting there. Could could God have snapped his fingers and had a temple built in the city of Jerusalem? Yes, you can nod your heads, that's good. Could all-powerful God who never sleeps or slumbers, if he wanted to, could he have sufficiently guarded the city of Jerusalem and protected his people? Yes, keep the heads nodding. That's good. Of course he could have. Or consider the the, the if you were here through the spring and the series you guys all went through the new, with the New Testament, one another's of love one another, forgive one another. I'm not sure of all the ones you guys went through, but live at peace with one another, confess to one another. I, I'm, could God do any and all of that for you. Could he, in his own will and own accord, comfort you? Love you? Forgive you? Yeah, of course he could and does. But so often, more often than not, he chooses to do all those things through us so that when you forgive me, I feel as though God is forgiving me. I understand that more fully. When I encourage you, the hope is that you hear and feel God's encouragement through me. The point, the greater principle of all this is this. God has this tendency to work through his people to accomplish his plans. All right? That's the greater principle underscoring this. And when we connect our work to those plans, we receive the gift of purpose, of meaning, of satisfaction, of contentment. And that's true whatever our, our actual work is. This gets us to a simpler, our more, for, more focused life that can become satisfying. Who doesn't want that? So as we get into this let me specifically maybe speak a little bit to the younger maybe those who aren't necessarily in their mid-40s and go in the other side of life. The younger folks in here, as you figure out life don't only assess, don't only think about what it is that you're passionate about. What you're might be uniquely gifted and passionate and build, try to build a career on that in search of contentment and fulfillment, needing to think that you have to find the exact right career in order to find satisfaction. Rather, let me propose another pathway to that. Find out what God is passionate about and then use your skills, your experience, your education, whatever it might be, to find work and then connect that work to whatever God is building, protecting, and birthing today. All right? Don't just consider what you're passionate about. Find what God is passionate about. Make that part of your work and your, and your life, and you'll find purpose, meaning, fulfillment. In the days of the psalmist, right, it's not just about Solomon. This this is for the bricklayer or the brickmaker or the person who was knitting the curtains or the person who was chopping down the trees or the person who was carving the wood, all of the elements of the temple. Whatever their work was had purpose and meaning because they were part of the work of God, what he was building, what he was protecting, what he was birthing. And catch this in the psalm, in the middle of the psalm. This isn't just about work. This is also about rest and a lack of worry in the midst of work. What Solomon knew, what his workers then knew, is this. God was in the building of the temples. You know what that gave them the freedom to do? Take a day off, rest, relax. Because God in his sovereignty was gonna see the work through. He had it for them, he was going to get the work done. And so this has a principle for us. So listen to this, because this is really important for us, I think. The soul rest that we crave is not in a ceasing of work or even less work. Right? The soul rest that we crave is found when we work alongside of God with all of our might, doing our small part in whatever the greater work is that God is building protecting and birthing. And when we give ourselves to that work, we find our soul's rest. But if we want a simpler, clearer life like Solomon that can breathe purpose to our work in our days too, we should be asking this question of starting to lead into and that is for us today, what is God building, protecting and birthing that we should join our lives to? Right? So this psalm, Psalm 127, naturally attracts church planters and pastors like a mosquito to a bug zapper. Like, we, it just you just flock to this thing, right? So as a church planter, unless the Lord is building the church in North Adams, we labor in vain, right? And that's a, that's a common thought that you're going to hear in church planting circles. Or even in, in pastoral work, unless the Lord watches over a church family, maybe even this church family in Saratoga, the pastor's labor in vain here trying to guard, to protect, to stay alert, to protect the flock that they have. That's all done in vain if the the Lord's… So planters and pastors flock to the first two verses of, of this psalm. But can we do that? Can we legitimately correlate Solomon's building of the temple to the work of the church today? I think that's an important thing for us to know before we just make that creative leap right there. And I think the answer is yes. Because of a pattern we see from beginning to end across the pages of the Bible and in the story of God and His people as He is building a place to dwell with His people. So we're going to go on a little Sunday drive across the pages of the Scripture through the story arc. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, where it all began... God dwelled with his people in perfect harmony and unity. He walked with them. They talked with him, right? There was this perfect presence between God and his people. And yet, very quickly in that story, that's all lost through sin, through idolatry. Adam and Eve were cast out, physically cast out, emotionally, spiritually. There was separation and a severing of those things. Yet it was God's heartbeat still from the beginning all the way through. It's God's heartbeat to dwell with his people, to be with his people. And so from that point forward in Genesis 3, all the way forward through the scriptures, we can see God as taking one more step closer and closer to his people, rebuilding presence and a place to be with his people. He rescues them from slavery in Egypt. And as they're traveling from there to the Promised Land, he instructs them to put up a tent called the Tabernacle. And that Tabernacle was a temporary place where his spirit would descend, and he would be with his people and talk with them. It's a little bit more closer, it's a little bit more consistent than anything so far through the story. And then when they get to the Promised Land, and Jerusalem is established, then there's this instruction to replace the tabernacle by the more permanent temple that Solomon builds, and God would take up residence there in the Holy of Holies. It would be where he communicated and communed with his people. It was a little more permanent than the tabernacle. It was a little more glorious than the tabernacle. But the temple didn't stay built, and so the storyline continues to move forward, and by the time we get to the New Testament, the person of Christ comes in flesh as one of us, like us, talks with us, walks with us. He, we are told he tabernacles with us. Am I gonna have to go to that? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I hate these things. Okay, should I turn this off? Okay. I hate hand mics. All right, so Christ comes with us. It's a little more approachable. It's a little more relatable. It's a little more tangible. But Christ didn't stay with us either. He ascended. And so on this side of the Christ event, do we wonder where God's presence with his people is? Do we have to resort to the former days of the temple? But there's a new development in this story. It's continuing to move. Right? And so Paul in the New Testament, he writes prolifically about this idea. Here's a little window into First Corinthians as he's writing to the believers in the city of Corinth. Do you not know that you, speaking to believers in Christ, that you are a temple of God and that his spirit dwells within you? So this is the next step from Jesus being with us. And there's this marvelous mystery that upon confession of faith in Christ, upon submission of our life to his lordship, the spirit of God is given to us. It is poured into our hearts. The spirit takes up residence within us. But it's not even just the individual. Paul continues to build this out in the book of Ephesians. And as he works through chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, he's saying stuff like, you are no longer an enemy of God, but you're now citizens of the kingdom of God. You're no longer strangers or aliens, but you are children of the living God. You're no longer separated from him, but you have been brought near. You are members of the household of God being joined, built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. At this point in the story, where does God take up residence to dwell and be with his people? And it is within the believers and among them what we commonly know as the church. And the story wouldn't end there. There's going to be another chapter to come when Christ returns and restores the fullness of all that was lost, and that's the promise of Revelation 21. These are beautiful verses. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, crying, or pain anymore for former things have passed away. That's ultimately where we'll get to. A completely restored, reconciled place of being with our God and dwelling with him. But I want you to catch that this story writ large of a place of presence with God and his people has this developing storyline that is ever moving closer and closer back to what the original beginning was. From the Garden of Eden to the void, the loss, to the tabernacle, to the temple, to Christ, to church, and all the way to full restoration. And so that is why, having said all that, that is why we can look at Psalm 127 and when we're asking that question, what is God building today for presence with his people, we can say the church. Right? And we can be creative and correlate that for us. But before I keep moving on, let me just allow, allow myself another quick pause here. Because I want to make this just a slightly less philosophical and maybe just a bit more personal. Because I think this story writ large is also a story writ small. Right? Don't lose yourself in the sea of humanity, in the overarching story here. Yes, God wants to dwell with all of us, but I also wanna say God wants to dwell with you. He wants to be your God. He wants to talk with, walk with you. And yes, your sin and your idolatry, that does create a state of separation between you and God. But like, just like this story, God pursues all of us, I think and I believe, and I wanna say he's pursuing you as well. And I think at every moment in your life, even up until this very day, in time, he is moving closer and closer, pursuing you, seeking you, standing right before you. He sees all of you. He knows all of you. And I firmly believe that for every single one of us, he stands right before us as the person of Christ, begging us, wanting us, desiring us to invite him in, to give our lives to him, to give our faith, put it in him, to trust him. And when we do that, all distance, between God and us is gone. And we dwell with our God. This is a grand narrative, but it's also an incredibly good story. That the story writ large is about a place for God to dwell and it's a story writ small about a place for you to belong. And God is actively building his church today For just that purpose, for a place to Him to dwell with His people and a place for you to belong. So if pastors and church planters flock to verses 1 and 2, who do you think flocks to verse 3 of this psalm? Parents. Children are a blessing. Fill your quiver with them. Have tons of them. Parents, naturally, in the church flock to this passage as a reason to birth a lot of babies. And I'm not dismissing that or like just pushing that to the side completely. However, if verses one and two aren't just for contractors and security guards, could it be that verse three here is not just for physical parents? And I want to propose the answer to that, maybe yes, that maybe this is more than just physical children we already asked and answered, what is God protecting, building, and birthing today? The church. How is he doing that? By bringing new people into faith. It's through people that he is building his church. New believers, new disciples, they become the next brick in the building of the temple, if you would. All right? So place isn't the only major theme that we could start in the beginning and pull through the whole of the scripture. Our purpose that we exist, our meaning could be there as well. And So in the very beginning, in Genesis 1 and 2, what does God give to Adam and Eve as a command, as a commission to them? What are their purposes in existing? What is, what is that? Be fruitful and multiply. Make more image bearers of God replicate that, multiply that, reproduce your kind. Yes, and in Genesis 1 and 2, it's a very physical thing that God is doing, and certainly God could have just breathed into more dust, or he could have carved out more ribs, but he chose not to do that. Again, we see this pattern that God, to accomplish his plans, invites the people into the work. And for the sake of time, I can't take that and weave that all the way through as well. Just kind of take my word for it. But allow me to jump ahead to the very final words of Jesus before he ascended. At the end of Matthew 28, he says to his disciples, Go and make disciples. Can I propose that this is just a restating of Genesis 2? It is a reorienting, it is a reestablishing of our purpose be fruitful and multiply. Make more disciples. Make more image bearers of Christ. Multiply your image. Have spiritual children. And add another block to the temple of God. Because certainly God could do that work by just giving more faith to people. But again... God in accomplishing his plans invites us into the work. And so God does this and this includes the work of people coming to faith in him. Who of us here who believes in Christ doesn't have a spiritual father or mother who has helped shape your faith? Helped guide you in faith. That they've spoken with you, taught you, mentored you, discipled you and your faith is built on the shoulder, on people who stand and have gone before you. Spiritual parents. Is what that is and so this is the invitation of the psalm today to join the work to build what he is building to protect what god is protecting to take part in what he is birthing the command is be fruitful and multiply make disciples share your faith have meals with your neighbor see your workplace as a mission field not just a paycheck provider And this allows you, this freedom of this idea, this allows you to work in any profession. Please don't hear me say, be a church planter or a pastor or whatever. This freedom, this invitation actually invites anything you do from a career perspective that you give your life to, to have meaning because you can connect it to the work of God because he's after people. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family. Be fruitful, multiply, have spiritual children, fill your quiver with them. Join non-Christian book clubs, cigar clubs, schools. Share hobbies with folks outside of the church, and not just to befriend them and do life and enjoy your own life. Do it with intentionality to disciple people. And I'm not urging you to make projects out of people. Please don't hear me say that. But I am trying to urge you to see the value and the importance of giving your life to being a spiritual parent for somebody coming after you. Our brothers and sisters... Uh, of color tend to celebrate this well. And I don't know if you have ever spent much time uh, in, in a predominantly African-American church or anything like that, or around those folks, uh, but they tend to value this. And they often refer to each other as, that's my spiritual dad, or that's my spiritual son, or that's my spiritual mom. Or my, It's, it's kind of weird at first, but then it's kind of beautiful at the same time. But they value that work, that role, that identity. So the meaningful work for Solomon Build an actual temple. The meaningful work for us, build the church by becoming spiritual parents. Have spiritual children who will become another brick in the temple. You can do this, church. All right? Don't feel the fear or the anxiousness or the worry. Remember that middle part of the psalm. God is going to accomplish his plans, and he's going to do it through you. And when you join that work, You can rest. It's okay. Try it. Be bold with your faith and who you are, and as a person of Christ, in Christ, it's okay. Don't be afraid. Give your life to it, and then rest, knowing that that that's what God is doing, and He'll use you to see His work through. Last thing I want to kind of point out about this psalm before we wind our time down is to notice the important descriptor of children towards the end of the psalm. They aren't just a blessing because they exist within the quiver. What's an arrow that stays in a quiver? It never really realizes what it is as an arrow. The purpose of an arrow is not just to be stuck in a quiver. Archers that show up to archery tournaments don't win when they show up with the most arrows in the quiver. Hunters don't have a meal by sitting in a tree stand and keeping their arrow in their quiver. Arrows are meant to be shot. That's what they're made for. It's a tool that allows, allows the archer or the warrior or the hunter to reach targets that they would otherwise not be able to reach, go places they would not be able to go. So perhaps let me try to flesh this out through our two churches, Terra Nova Saratoga and Nova North Adams. Church in Saratoga. The reality is, our church in North Adams is a child of yours. We are a daughter church of this church. In a sense, we're your child. You've given money, and lots of it. Over the past five years or so, the missionary, the church plant that you have given the most money to is our church planting work in North Adams. And we're still a teenage child. We'll be asking for more. We're not quite done with that yet. But, but thank you for that. We are, in a sense, your children. Some of the people, it's not just money, some of the people that made up our initial church planting work that are still part of our church in North Adams, they were people that were here in this church. They were discipled here. They were poured into here. They were members here. They were, but they weren't kept here. They were launched out, sent. Nicole and I are included in that. In a very real way, our church was born out of this church. And had you not done that, had you kept us as people or as arrows in the quiver and protected or overprotected what God wanted released, here's some of the things that would have been missed in the last five years. Annie wouldn't have had a place to be baptized last summer. Freya, Gracie, Kai, Judah, Zeke, Madeline. I don't know, I can't remember all the kids in our kids program. There's too many of them. They wouldn't have a church home to be discipled in, to grow up in. Justin and Jesse may not have a place right now to explore faith or rekindle their journey with Jesus. Elizabeth Hill may not have a place to serve and use her gifts. Gabe Besaw may not have a church home to be trained up as an elder and a pastor. And and I could keep going, and and I'm not, because I'm not trying to tokenize any of those stories for the sake of a church planting story, but I do want you to hear, in a very real way, none of that would have come to be had you kept us here and not sent us out. You would not have the kingdom impact you are having in the northern Berkshires of Massachusetts. We are arrows that are going places and further than you can reach by being here in Saratoga. You catch that? Arrows aren't meant to be collected, but shot. And so if I say that maybe in a plain way, an encouraging way, maybe with a hint of exhortation to a church I love here, certainly be about discipleship. You have to be about discipleship. But don't collect disciples here in this church. Send them, shoot them out to be part of building the church. And I'm not just talking about send church planters or missionaries out. I'm talking about send missionaries after every Sunday service into the week. Shoot them out. Into homes, into neighborhoods, into workplaces. Church, keep fighting the urge that I know is there. It's there for every single church. Fight the urge to bend inwards. To self-protect or to self-provide with your own people, or to program that which really only serves those who are already following Christ. Fight that urge. And be the church that realizes it exists here in Saratoga for the sake of people who aren't yet part of this church here in Saratoga. Constantly have that heartbeat because God works through his people to accomplish his plans of building a place for him to dwell and for his people to belong. And he's doing that through his church by birthing new believers. And he's inviting you. He is desiring for you to join that work. And whatever you do, whatever your career is, wherever you live, whatever neighborhood you're a part of, or whatever club you recreate with, when you bring your missionary identity to those things, you'll find satisfaction and purpose wherever God has you for the sake of his kingdom. For as Solomon says in his wisdom, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter three, verse 14, I have discerned that whatever God does endures forever. Or as Jesus promised in the New Testament, I am building my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. You're invited to to join him in that meaningful work because God works through his people To accomplish his plans and for our purpose. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are great enough to give us life, to author life, to design life, and you're good enough to give us life with purpose. Thank you for that. Thank you for allowing me even the opportunity to stand here and speak to brothers and sisters that I know and love and cherish. Continue to bless the work of this church. Spirit, continue to give all of the believers here a little bit of spine, a little bit of steel in their spine as they step out of this church into the week as your missionaries. Give them boldness with the gospel. Give them humility with the gospel. Help them to do just the faithful work of sharing the good news of your grand story and continuing to invite people here to find a place to belong and ultimately find the beauty and the believability of Jesus Christ for their lives. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.